umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we have a lot of things about michigan football to talk about this time so clint uh we last time we had our podcast we thought that the coaching staff uh changes had um calmed down and lo and behold we had a had a departure, so I thought that we would go over and talk about how the staff is currently composed. Yep, sounds good. So, uh, looking at the top, of course, Jim Harbaugh is still here. I'm looking at the graphic that Michigan Football tweeted out. I like that they gave him a little head coach token so that we would know he was leading the program. I, I think that's kind of funny. So, of course, Jim Harbaugh is still here. Um, now, uh, up next... Ron Bellamy. Now, what's interesting is that when last we left our hero, um, Ron Bellamy had won a state championship, was joining the staff. We thought to work with receivers, and now he's been shifted over to safeties. How do you feel about that? Well, I think he'll be fine with safeties. I know that he played receiver at Michigan and uh, in his NFL tenure, but... Um, in his 10 or 11 year head coaching uh, career, you know, he's, he's had to have a hand on both sides of the ball and, and multiple position groups. And um, I think I, I read that he's played safety uh, on the defensive side of the ball, even back in high school. So, it, I mean, it's something that he's had some experience with. I think the, the bigger highlight uh, that came out of Jim Harbaugh's press conference earlier in the week was that uh, he was, you know, Harbaugh was encouraged that he had guys that immediately um, accepted and embraced new roles and said, you know, whatever's best for the team. So, I, I mean, that's that's pretty much the extent that I take out of his move. Uh, it is interesting that one of the uh, one of the biggest in-state recruits uh, for the 22 class is from West Bloomfield and uh, also plays safety. So, um, may maybe. Um, you know, part of it there, but, uh, you know, when, when Brian Jean-Marie left for Tennessee at the last minute, um, Harbaugh brought in a quarterback coach so that he could take a step back and have kind of a overarching look. So, you know, the reshuffling, um, was necessary for the whole group and, and Ron Bellamy stepped into a new role and, and, you know, it again speaks to his kind of team player nature as to who he is. You know, and, and I think that's a good point. You know, one of the things that you have to remember is even if, uh, you know, you consider that he had a lot of experience coaching wide receivers, well, who do wide receivers go up against? Defensive back and safeties, right? And as a coach, you learn both sides. So I don't think that it's going to be a problem, uh, him coaching the safeties. Again, I'm just more surprised that at the last-minute shifts, uh, with with the departure and uh, so again and I think as you said there's a little bit of gamesmanship in the recruiting uh, wars with that and uh, you know that can't be a bad thing because uh, you know if you have better players uh, coaches look better so uh, you know I think one of the things they used to say and uh, it was you know it's not X's and O's it's Jimmy and Joe's right so uh, hopefully uh, they can uh have a inside a track to that top recruit and we'll see how that works out. 
Yeah, and one, one other point, uh, sorry to jump in there that I forgot, was that it's not like there's not another wide receiver coach on the staff. You know, J- Josh Gaddis is a very accomplished wide receiver coach. Um, I think it was a good strategy to try to uh, let Gaddis take a step back as the coordinator and not have to coach a position. But, uh, you know, with the shuffle at the last minute, he can step back into that role. It's something that he's been you know, that he's comfortable with and, and has been doing and, and has been successful. So it's not like that there's a, a huge gap now at, at receivers coach. And as you mentioned, next up is Josh Gaddis, who will remain as offensive coordinator and also cover the wide receivers. And, you know, you covered how that's a good fit for him. And uh, Michigan has some continuity on the offensive side of the ball. So that will be that will be interesting. Next up is Jay Harbaugh, who will be handling special teams and tight ends. And uh, it's interesting, um, when we talk about Jim Harbaugh's tenure here, um, the one coach who's been consistent is Jay, and Jay has been uh, uh, getting exposed to different coaching areas and moving from place to place. And I have to say, the the one of the first places that I really – recognized John Harbaugh before he was a head coach is he was a special teams coach. And, uh, you know, I take an interest in special teams play and his special teams were very well coached. And I'm talking about John Harbaugh. So it's not, uh, you know, we know that Jay has worked underneath Jim and worked underneath Jay. I mean, Jay has worked underneath John. So uh, I would expect uh, that he he is very well prepared to handle the special teams, and uh, and we will see uh, how the tight ends work out. So again, um, Jay Harbaugh. Next up is uh, Mike Hart, and he will be coaching the running backs. And I, I know that I that's a very popular pick with me, and I know that's a very popular pick with most Michigan fans. Um, how do you feel about uh, Mike Hart at running back coach? Yeah, I think it's very positive. Uh, again, the, the initial impact that we talked about was mostly in recruiting. I think that's because it was you know, January and February when these, uh, you know, it was breaking news. So, and that's the part of the season that we're in, in the off season. In terms of on-field coaching, you know, he, uh, I like a lot of the things that uh, Mike Hart did as a running back outside of just piling up rushing yards. Um, I think the, a big part of the focus for Michigan going forward is to get the yards that are there, right? That's understanding how the plays are designed and what it should look like from the running back position and making the right reads uh, and, and using your eyes and making the right cuts. Get what's blocked and, and fall forward, right? So if you get what's blocked for you and fall forward, then you're going to have a high success rate uh, on your run plays. And then um, – I think another thing that when Mike Hart was a player at Michigan that uh, I thought was, was particularly outstanding about him is he really had a nose for the end zone. Anytime that I can remember um, that he had the ball inside the five yard line, he, he found the goal line. It's, it, it was remarkable to me because Mike Hart was somewhat, uh, you know, a smaller stature for a running back, especially in the Big Ten and in the early years. He just had such a great knack for um, getting an extra yard or two at the end of runs 
and falling forward, and especially inside the five-yard line, he, he tended to find the goal line. So um, Hassan Haskins has a lot of those same qualities, I think, um, and, and can refine some of that under uh, the tutelage of, of Mike Hart. But uh, from a grand scheme, I think there's still a lot of talent in that running back room, and they are, they're going to have an approach now where they're going to understand their role within the uh, – within the offense and, and make sure that they're doing their job, get what's blocked again. And then, uh, you know, individually they can, they can add value by finishing those runs. Um, and then the big question mark, I think that is on everybody's mind is whether there'll be another kind of even distribution amongst the running backs um, or, or whether there's, there's more of a workhorse style with one guy getting a majority of the carries and, and other guys coming in and getting, one or two opportunities per game. So that's that's uh, the big question mark to see if, if you know having a new running back coach in, in my heart changes the the distribution of touches from from what we saw last year. And uh, if so, who who picks up the majority of those carries? You know, again, it's a it's a talented room. There's a lot of experience with Hassan Haskins, one year of playing experience for Blake Corum and and a, a five star freshman coming in with Donovan Edwards. So a lot of excitement about uh, the running game and, and the running back and the new coach. Yeah, definitely. Well said, you know, the thing that I remember about Mike Hart is I remember him being one of the few highly touted recruits who lived up to his billing. Right. And, and that's not a, a slam on, on anybody. Uh, but you know how, when you go through the recruiting cycle, Everybody is spectacular, right? Um, you know, you hear, oh, this is going to be the next Tom Brady or this is going to be the next uh, Charles Woodson. And, and again, that's that's an incredibly high standard to hold anybody to. But Mike Hart came in and made an immediate impact and, again, was a great player here. Um, I, I think it's a great point that you bring up. You wonder um, what his philosophy of if you're going to, you know, rotate running backs or or just go with the workhorse. So uh, he was definitely the horse when he was here, and uh, we'll have to see if, if that holds up. So uh, next up is uh, George Hilo, right? And this is where we had kind of a shift with uh, the, the departure of Brian Jean-Marie, which still surprises me. And uh, so, so how do you feel about uh, Jean Marie leaving and, and Hilo moving over to take care of the linebackers? Well, first with um, Jean Marie leaving, you know it's uh, part of college football and and college and pro football, high level football for sure. These guys that make their living as coaches, um, you know, they bounce around a lot, so it's not. It's certainly nothing that I take, uh, you know, personally from a from a Michigan program standpoint when guys move around. So, you know, we're really really diving in and, and looking at the margins here for any any uh, implicit meaning. That, you know, these guys move around all the time, and and I think if I read correctly, he took uh, you know he got a hundred thousand dollar pay raise um, to take the same job at Tennessee. So, you know, that was somewhere between 20 and 25% uh, pay bump. So it could be as simple as that, but there, there was um, a report that leaked, you know, early in, in January that uh, Michigan was trying to bring in a, a linebacker coach from 
uh, the University of Florida that had ties to Mike McDonald. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of might have, that might have raised a flag for Brian Jean Marie. You know, you're bringing in a, a guy at his position group. So he was either going to flex to another position group or, or get ousted directly or, or whatever. And I think he, he started to look around and see what other opportunities were there for him. Um, we know that he interviewed with Jacksonville and uh, obviously took the job at Tennessee. So it, it seems pretty logical on its face how, how it went down. Um, no, uh, I don't feel disrespected or slighted, uh, you know, when guys like this make a decision that's uh, pretty simple in its terms. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that I, I wish him personally well. Um, I don't necessarily wish them a lot of success at, at Tennessee, not one of my favorite programs. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I hold no ill will toward, toward a guy that's going to take a, a $100,000 a year pay raise and, and, you know, still be coaching at a, at a big level program. So definitely coaches shifting is part of the deal, right? And we've seen that, um, uh, so, okay, let's just take it from a 50,000 foot view. Um, when you look at the changes that, that Jim Harbaugh had done on his staff, I don't know that anybody would feel particularly safe, right? If he thought he had the opportunity to do an upgrade or to make a change that needed to be happen, that needed to happen, he'd do it, right? So um, that part doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is just the timing, right? Um, you know, a, a week or two before spring practice starting, um, to me, that's odd on both sides. It's odd on the Michigan side, and it's odd wherever you're going, right, that if you needed to fill that position, um, you're wondering uh, what other options happened uh, that you were filling it that late, right? Again, wish him best. Wish him the best. He seemed like uh, you know he, he was a really competent coach, and that you know um, you know I, I liked him a lot. And I think part of my uh, disappointment is just that disappointment, right? That um, I really liked what he had been doing, and I, I was looking forward to uh, to seeing how he progressed as a coach and how the linebackers progressed under him. So, again, that's more of a, you know, when, when you get to talk to guys, um, you kind of have a, a personal rapport, and, and, you know, you like how they how they handle their business. And nothing against George Hilo. It's just, you know, it's, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're exposed to people for a while, you have a, you have a preference, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's all I'm expressing. And, again, the timing. But, again, um, you know, it, it, again, you know, as we're seeing with so many players entering the transfer portal, um, you know, and, and we both agree that that's a, a positive change for the players to have more freedom and ability to move. So um, not only are we seeing coaches shift, but we're seeing players have the ability to shift. And I think that that's not something that's going to slow down. So uh, we just kind of have to kind of have to roll with it. So right. um, and I think I think. George Hilo is, is capable of coaching linebackers at uh, you know in the Big Ten and at this level he, he coached linebackers at Maryland before he joined uh, Michigan staff. So um, again, where there there's a significant difference I think between uh, Hilo and, and Brian Jean Marie in terms of experience at the the college level. 
uh, and coaching linebackers. So there's some work to do there, but um, I, th- I think that uh, the biggest encouraging part is that Helos come in and immediately been one of the more uh, outspoken and visible on, on social media uh, members of the coaching staff. So he really, he really came in with uh, a lot of enthusiasm to the role through the recruiting cycle. And I would imagine, um, you know, that's going to translate uh, to the on-field coaching through spring ball too. So I, I think we'll be okay there. I don't think that you're going to have a, a major drop-off. Again, your, your defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, is also a, a former linebacker coach. So there, there's plenty of, of experience and understanding uh, at, that line, at that linebacker position. So I, I'm not too concerned that there's a gap there. You know, and I think that's a good point. Um, you know, we hit, well, okay, so I understand saying there's nothing to be um, concerned about, right? But with so many with so many changes on the, on the coaching staff, we have a lot of pieces to track, right? So it'll be interesting to see how it all gels together. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next uh, coach up is Mo Linguist. He's going to be handling the defensive backs, and he's going to be co-defensive coordinator. So how do you feel about that hire? This is the, for me, uh, for the 21 offseason leading into the season this fall, this is one of the biggest question marks. Um, Not in a risky sense or to slight Mo Linguist at all, but it's where, first of all, the job is the biggest um, the, the outside coverage and cornerbacks last year were the, the biggest glaring issue in, in some of the, the in the biggest spots for Michigan. Um, I, I would argue that Michigan lost to Michigan State in uh, in the second week of the season, almost you know primarily because they they couldn't cover on the outside and, and you know between penalties and, and giving up big plays, it cost them you know maybe the worst loss of, you know, the Harbaugh tenure. So the, the the size of the problem at that position from last season is so huge that Mo Linguist has to be successful for Michigan to be successful. So it's a, it's a huge wild card um, is what I would call it, or, or a spotlight position for me uh, as opposed to a question mark. Um, in terms of what Mo Linguist has done, uh, again, because – the hire was made during the recruiting cycle. That's that's kind of how we got to know what impact he would have. And he has been number one, far and away, the most active new coach on the staff in terms of visibility and bringing new uh, recruits and, and offering to new high school players um, from the moment that he was hired. Actually was giving offers to kids when he had an agreement um, in principle and and it hadn't even been uh, announced that he was hired as the cornerbacks coach. So in, in terms of hitting the ground running, I don't know that I've ever seen it done the way that Mo Linguist is, um, is doing it. So I I'm, I'm very, very encouraged with, with his enthusiasm and passion for, for the job. Um, Number one, number two, I think it's a critical role. Like I was just saying, and uh, also, what I, from what I've read and, and from how I understand uh, the Ravens' previous defensive scheme and philosophy, 
is that um, they were a little bit unique in that they wanted to make sure that they could cover the passing um, attack first and that they would find ways to rush the quarterback. So they wanted to start kind of back to front in terms of solidifying, and I think that's a big reason why Mo Linguist was brought in as a co-coordinator because um, they, they look at the philosophy of defense, I think, a little bit differently than, than what most people would think with it starting up front with a pass rush and cover as long as you can. That's certainly um, kind of a flip from, from Don Brown's philosophy of, of just getting pressure on the quarterback and cover. Um, it's not to say that the new defense won't be trying to get pressure, but their first priority is to make sure that they have the athletes on the field to cover the offensive threats that the offense is putting on the field. So that puts Mo Linguist squarely into one of the biggest spotlights for me um, in the spring and, and into the fall. So the other thing that you know helps in recruiting is you have a guy who just came from the NFL, right? And he's going to be able to talk to players and, you know, assuming that that is their goal and say, listen, I've been in the league, I've coached at that level, and I I know what it takes to, you know, I know what players need to get there, right? So that's that's a positive. One of the concerns I have, and I've seen this throughout the years, is whenever you have a coach come from the NFL back to the college ranks, um, the concern that, that I see is that, you know, NFL guy, the, the last guy on the NFL roster can do many things that um, the average college player may not be able to do, right? So the the concern I have is, um, do you have a, you know, do you have an expectation, can you, can you fit your system and can you adjust your expectations and bring in the, the players at a high enough level to do the system that you want to do, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I think um, I'm glad that linguist had experience at Texas A&M before um, the Dallas Cowboys. So we know that he's, he probably understands those differences, but being able to transition or, or kind of gear down from a pro to a, uh, to a college room is, is certainly a good point. You know, it's interesting because one of the, uh, you know, when you talk to coaches, you know, off the record and, and you, you talk about, well, what is what are the advantages to going to the league, right? And there are some coaches who prefer the collegiate game, the collegiate life. Uh, and there are other coaches who make it clear, you know, in no uncertain terms, they want to be in the league. And there's, you know, one of the things they talk is lifestyle, you know, that at the college level, you're always recruiting, Right it's relentless that you don't really have an off season. And in the NFL you do. And one of the other things that they cite is that you just have a higher level of skill that you're working with. So um, it, it'll be, again, it's going to be interesting. So, um, you know, we're talking about coaching changes, right? And um, you know, we're talking about Mo linguist. Well, uh, you know, next up is Mike McDonald, Mike McDonald, you know, um, also going to be, uh, you know, handling the, the you know, being defensive coordinator and helping out with the linebackers. So it's interesting because I see both of these guys as um, 
uh, I say the question I have is, can you down select, right? Can you, um, you know, again, professional players, uh, by definition, can do things that, that the average collegiate player can't. So I'm really going to be following the defense here. I mean, I know we're all going to be following the defense because it's been, you know, such an issue over the last couple of years. But it, it really is a philosophical change. And I really appreciate how you explained how, uh, um, you know, the Ravens uh, had attempted to uh, kind of put the defense on its head, right? And I think when you look at Michigan the last couple of years with, uh, you know, um, the solve your problems with aggression, right? This looks like we're going to be seeing a shift, right? It's we're going to have, you know, in a perfect world, we may want to have the best coverage and, uh, you know, as you said, figure out how to get the quarterback later. So it, it's really going to be interesting to see how all these pieces come together. Um, you know, we talked about, um, you know, why were these changes made, right? And um, one of the things that, that many people have noted is that, um, you know, the staff is younger. Um, you know, the other thing I was thinking um, when you were talking about how the, the defensive focus might change is that Don Brown always said, you know, again, solve your problems with aggression. I'm going to be sending players. I'm not going to change. Right. That's and, and he, he made no apologies. So you wonder if uh, perhaps some of the changes, um, if, if uh, Coach Harbaugh decided that he wanted to shift to a, a, a more Ravens like attack. And perhaps, uh, you know, that's not how Don wanted to do it. And, uh, you know, you can see them parting, parting on good terms because you just have a different philosophy and, you you know, we, we've tried it a certain way for a few years. So it's really interesting. Uh, you know, the other thing that I wonder is, you, you know, that Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh are very close. Um, it seems like uh, we need to track, you know, moving forward, the Baltimore Ravens staff for potential uh, new coaches for Michigan, because, you know, there was a previous history, you know, Jay Harbaugh came from the Ravens. Um, um, and, you know, now we have Mike McDonald and, and uh, you know, Mo Linguist running a similar style. Right. So it, it's interesting to see, um, you know, kind of the, the ebb and flow back and forth of, ideas uh transitioning between the collegiate game and the pro game and and but you know between john and jim yeah there's definitely a um there's definitely something there with with how um there's a, a connection between uh the two harbaugh brothers of course you know um and and, and even uh, from john to uh michigan you know i was when i was looking into some of the defensive stuff today to, to talk about spring ball, if we get to it. Um, I was reminded that, you know, Greg Madison came to Ann Arbor from, you know, John's staff. So it was, uh, it was very interesting that there's something about, uh, um, you know, that, that connection between the Ravens and, uh, Michigan. And then when Jim took over as the head coach, obviously, it's only strengthened that. And then this season, it's been uh, quite a pipeline. So we'll see um, how those coaches do and develop. Uh, they're all, again, it bears repeating that um, all of the new uh, 
coaches coming in uh, are relatively young for you know coaches at this level, uh, all in their 30s. I, I don't. I think Jean Marie leaving means that all of the assistants are under 40, uh, which is pretty unique. Um, and Harbaugh mentioned that it's not necessarily a part of his strategy. Um, but he felt like they're all established coaches, you know, between seven and 12 years of experience. Um, but it, it, it's an awfully big coincidence that a lot of the guys that moved on to other roles were uh, older guys in, in, the, in the back half of their coaching careers. And that these guys are uh, these newer additions to the staff are, are kind of up and coming, you know, something to prove developing their careers and still, still trying to, uh, build some of those coaching trees and networks. Um, so it's, it, I think that there is something to uh, a f- philosophical change with how Harbaugh is um, kind of reconstructing his coaching tree uh, in, in coordination with his brother. Well, and we've talked about this before, right? There was a contingent of Michigan fans who wanted a new head coach. And, um, you know, w- when the contract um, uncertainty was was bubbling up. Well, if you look at this, if you were to, you know, put your hand over Jim Harbaugh and look at the staff, you really have pretty much a brand new staff, right? And it's not, uh, you know, you could make the case that if a new coach had come in, they may have kept a few and they would have rebuilt the staff from the ground up. Well, if you look at it, you kind of could say that happened, right? And, and, it, and it's weird to me that um, you're getting, uh, and, and, you know, I know that coach didn't want to address specifically that, um, you know, if younger coaches was a target, you have to be careful about that. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you look, uh, the thing that, 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 that I, that strikes me is that Jim Harbaugh is considerably older than everybody. Right. He's now the old guy on the staff and you'd always look at Jim and Jay and go, well, uh, you know, what's it like? Um, you know, working for your dad and, and Jay's always really good about that and, and, you know, makes light of it. And, you know, they have a very uh, unique relationship, but really um, a lot of these guys are, are Jim and, and uh, these guys are, are much closer to Jay's aides than Jim's. Um, so I, I think that's interesting that it's definitely, uh, you know, uh, we talked about if this is going to impact recruiting um, you know, and, and I, I mean, we're going to see, right. It, but it, it definitely, you know, when you're like, I'm looking at the coaching staff, all their headshots right now, and it's, it's definitely a younger looking crew and, and listen, I I'm older myself, right. So, uh, it's going to be interesting trying to, uh, you know, to, to interact with a lot of these guys. Cause, cause there's definitely, uh, I'm much closer to Jim's age than most of his coaches right now. <laughs> right. And, and then even the last addition, um, when John Marie left, bringing in Matt Weiss from the Ravens as the quarterback coach, that's a guy that has coached multiple different positions with the Ravens. And um, his background um, and, and what he brought as a unique skill set was in a lot of game prep and analytics. And, and obviously uh, that's a, a big theme that you and I talk about when we analyze games and, and looking at um, how different statistics and different analyses can can produce different results, or at least different uh, you know angles at, at how we look at what happened and what's going to happen. 
So to hear that that this uh, new coach um, who's going to coach quarterbacks is also um, has a lot of experience in game specific analytics and decision making is also something that I think uh, I'll be keeping an eye on um, going forward, especially when we get into talking about game decisions and, uh, you know, should he have done this or should he have done that? I think that it's pretty clear um, that Matt Weiss was brought in to, to have a hand in, in helping direct some of those uh, uh, game day decision-making um, methods and, and also providing the information to, to, to build a framework for how they're going to make those choices. So, Clint, that's a great point. So uh, this is, it's been enough years that I, I think we can, that I can talk about this and not anger anybody. But about three or four years back, um, I was going through the game photos of, of the sidelines, right? And uh, a photo popped up of a very thick book. Um, and uh, the cover of the book was a company that does game analytics, right? So, you know, I'd asked a few questions and, and uh, you know, the team said, oh, we never even work with that company. And I said, hey, what are you doing with this company? Oh, we never work with them. And I, I set, you know, brought up the picture and they're like, oh, well, we might do something with them, right? And, and again, it, uh, the, the point is, is that I think that um, Jim Harbaugh has uh, always, you know, one of the things when he came in is that his player said he measured everything, everything in practice, everything was ranked, every you knew where you were. Um, I think that um, he does put a lot of faith in analytics. Um, now, I will tell you, there's there's been times I've questioned some decisions and some, you know, game uh, game time decisions and, and situational. So, you know, you don't you don't live by the book exclusively, um, but it'll be interesting that Matt Weiss is bringing something in. And, and I think there's another point, right? If if he was involved in this with the Ravens, you know, that's something that John and Jim have talked about. Right. And that this is something that Jim wants to add to his, you know, to his staff. So I, I, you know, when people ask me my opinion on what we're seeing is I'm like, listen, I see Jim Harbaugh dialing up changes, right? And we've seen changes, uh, you know, year in and year out. This is one of the biggest changes that I've seen, right? This is a, um, it's a soft reboot, right? You are getting, and this goes back to the point about the new coaching staff. You're getting pretty much a new coaching staff under the same coach, but it is a reboot. And I, and I, I don't see how you could, you know, I, I don't see how you, how many people could deny that. Um, you know, the last two coaches that we haven't talked about is, you know, we have Sean Nua, who's going to be coaching the defensive line. You know, it's interesting because there were, um, there were strong rumors last year that the uh, um, that the defensive room, coaching room, wasn't a happy place. That there were some conflicts, and uh, that you know, I, I think when you hear that heading into the into the off season, you wonder, you kind of look to see who's going to leave, right? Well, Don Brown's left, and Sean New is still here, so um, you got to believe that. Um, that uh, you know that they were happy with the job he was doing with the defensive lineman, um, 
you know, again, he's he's got a big job, you know, a uh, big job to fill with in this new defense, right? Um, and then you also have uh, Sharon Moore, who's going to be replacing Ed Warner uh, as the offensive line coach, and he's going to be co-offensive coordinator. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer. Um, you know, we hear coaches say this, uh, you know, the battles are won on the line. And I think that Sean Nua and Sharon Moore uh, are going to have a a huge impact on whether the next couple seasons are going to be successful, right? Um, you know, Ed Warner leaving, uh, you know, uh, from being the offensive line coach surprised me. Um, you know, again, he's moved on, and uh, I thought he'd done a pretty good job now there's some questions about how um, successful of a recruiter he was, but I thought with the uh, with the players they had on the staff that he'd done a pretty good job, and um, you know it's really hard to judge Sean Nua. I, I mean it's really hard to judge anybody on last season, right? It was such a an outlier in many ways. So uh, it, it is interesting that Coach Harbaugh decided to to keep keep him. So he must have a, a certain amount of faith in him. Well, um, yeah, a couple couple points that kind of accent and highlight what you're saying. First, on the defensive line, uh, I think the new defensive staff and philosophy have kind of enabled Sean Nua to recruit bigger guys um, rather than just uh, really fast defensive linemen that they're going to look to try to put weight onto. You know, you can tell – since the uh, the new staff has been assembled, Sean New has been in contact. And again, like we talked about in our last podcast, he reeled in a couple real anchor big uh, bodies coming in that, you know, that are almost uh, 300 pounds or, or already above 300 pounds on that defensive line. So uh, I think that's one change immediately that, that we've seen. And then also, if you had to mention you know, if you had to name the two best players on that defense for Michigan last year, um, I think you, you've got to say that it's Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson, both coached by Sean Nua for the last two seasons. So um, it, it, the results are, are, are there. There were significant problems in the middle of that defense, uh, you know, inside with the, the nose tackle and the three techniques. They need to get addressed, and I think um, based on the actions of the staff, they think that it's a matter of not recruiting guys that um, you know had enough size on the inside there and then maybe not playing guys that were younger that might have had the size and the strength to do it but but couldn't execute uh, mentally what, what they were being asked to do. So it's a, it's a little bit of a soft reboot for Sean Newell, even though he's staying in the same uh, position. And on, on the offensive side, like you said, um, Sharon Moore moving to the offensive line coach is a big challenge for him. I think uh, obviously adding the, the title of co-offensive coordinator um, is, is a, an endorsement of what he's done as a Michigan coach to this point. You know, that's a, a, a kind of a, a mid kind of a middle or, or semi-promotion obviously to add that tag to his title. And, um, you know, I think that it's deserved. I think, uh, Sharon Moore has been a very 
their leading recruiter in the off seasons, uh, any of their major uh, recruitments that, that have ended successfully, including the, uh, the saga with Daxton Hill, uh, Sharon Moore w- was involved in. And then he pretty much took over in-state recruiting when they were at their, you know, when it was the most dire straits in the state of Michigan, Sharon Moore came in and kind of stabilized that boat. So that part of it has obviously been um, rewarded. He was obviously involved very much in the blocking scheme uh, from the past couple of years as the tight ends coach. You know, the tight ends coach, you would think, spends typically somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of their time with the offensive line and, and then also gets some of the uh, passing game stuff in there too. But um, understanding the, the run schemes and, and techniques uh, is, is more than 50% of their job typically on a staff. So it's, he's very aware of what they were doing and how it was working. Um, but, you know, when, when you and I look at statistics, uh, the run game was pretty consistent um, since the start of Harbaugh's tenure. You know, it, it's, it's mediocre. It's okay. It, it's somewhat successful. Uh, raw statistics are, you know, rushing yards and, 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 Yards per play go up and down, but in terms of success rate and what they're doing in key spots on the running, uh, in their running plays, um, there's not a lot of up or down that, that we can see. So I think Sharon Moore is certainly capable of, of kind of at least maintaining the status quo. And, um, it's not unreasonable to hope that, uh, if he brings a, a couple changes that we can, see uh, a little bit of an increase um, in the running game in terms of getting more uh, what the, you know, what are looked at as line yards, right? How many rushing yards did the offensive lineman earn? Pretty much any running back would have gotten X number of yards based on how it was blocked. I'll be looking pretty closely once we get to game time in the fall to see if we've, if we've increased uh, how many rushing yards those offensive linemen are earning. So, again, uh, you know, we're going to have so many changes uh, to watch. Uh, and, again, you know, after the uh, the train wreck of last season, uh, definitely looking forward to the upcoming season. Um, another thing we wanted to cover, uh, another huge surprise, at least for me, was the announcement that uh, quarterback Joe Milton uh, was entering the transfer portal. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, I, I, you know, before we kind of, you know, in, you know, dig into what it means for Michigan on the field. So here's a guy who's uh, about to turn 21, right? He's going to be graduating from Michigan, which, you know, you know, I, I, I'm always amazed, um, you know, having gone to Michigan and knowing, uh, how tough it is when you see a guy who comes through the program and, uh, is on track to graduate early after playing, you know, putting in the huge amount of time it takes to play football. Right. And, uh, so, so kudos to Joe, right. I mean, I, I genuinely mean that, that, you know, he's, he's going to turn, uh, He's going to turn 21 uh, in a week or so, right? So to be on track to have graduated, you know, 
uh, by 21, graduated from Michigan. He's going to transfer and have three full seasons of eligibility, right? So he, he's going to go someplace and, and potentially have a whole career worth of playing time. So I like Joe. I wish him well. Um, so with all that said, you know, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for Michigan. Um, I was really, you know, we had talked about how powerful his arm was, right? And, again, nobody was happy with how last season ended. Um, I would have really liked to have seen um, seen him develop, you know, at Michigan. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate his choice. Um, and, you know, and, and again, I, 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 you know, we've talked about it's great that players have this ability to, to move and, and find a better fit for them. But uh, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss seeing what that arm could have done, uh, you know, utilized properly at Michigan. Yeah, I, I, I second that wholeheartedly. I, I was really excited about seeing what the ceiling is on, on Joe Milton as a quarterback, especially throwing the ball. You know, when when you and I are, are in a normal season in the press box together and, and watching warm-ups, um, you know, it was hard for me to look anywhere else. I love watching Joe Milton throw throw the football. Um, it, I think – from a, from a taking a step back away from Joe Milton specifically, and maybe looking at just quarterbacks, um, it, it reminds me very much of the the arc of Brandon Peters, right? The it seems that when they recruit these quarterbacks in, that they they kind of lay out a plan of okay, you know, you're you're going to come in, you can compete, of course, if you don't end up getting the playing time that that you wanted. We'll, we'll redshirt you, keep that year of eligibility. Um, you can still play in up to four games. Uh, here's this academic plan that gets you a bachelor's degree in three years. Um, so you'll have two year, you know, a redshirt year, two years of competing and maybe playing uh, significant game experience, and we'll see where we're at after year three. And if it doesn't look like year four is going to be yours to uh, ascend to the top, and be the, the clear cut starter and you want to transfer, then, then you can, um, as a grad transfer because they lay out this plan of, of getting a bachelor's degree in three years. So that strategy, I think was at play. And again, it, it's the same, it's the same exact path that happened with Brandon Peters that happened with Joe Milton. Um, the biggest difference, uh, in terms of, coming out as a grad transfer with three years for Milton is that the the 2020 COVID year doesn't count against anybody's eligibility. So that's why he's got three years of eligibility and and Peter's only had two when he signed with Illinois. So uh, I I think that they, that that's, I'm inferring that, that they kind of put that plan out there. Um, Listen, you've got three years to become the the starter and a superstar and, and you'll either be making a, an NFL decision going into year four, stay or go, or you'll be making a transfer decision. And and that's uh, kind of an interesting um, way to look at it. Uh, I, I haven't found anything that kind of blows up my, my hypothesis yet. Um, and they're probably saying the same thing right now to, to J.J. McCarthy. You know, you've got Cade McNamara going into his third year. 
Um, and you got JJ McCarthy competing uh, for the starting job. And, you know, there's going to be a decision to make uh, going into next year for, for Cade McNamara, depending on whether he wins the job or not. So I um, kind of zooming back in specifically to, to Joe Milton. Uh, I obviously wish uh, any player the best. I, I am glad that they have a little bit more agency over their own career and can make choices. Um, I kind of expect him to end up somewhere in Florida, uh, closer to home. Um, maybe, especially with the comparisons to Cam Newton, um, that, that Joe Milton has, has harbored. He, you know, I could see him going back really close to home and going to central Florida. Um, now that Gus Malzahn is the, the new coach there. So we're, I'm really interested to see what, how that all shakes out. He's certainly a player that I'm going to follow just because I think that he's so talented. Um, I wish that he had been given a full 12 game or 13 game season to be evaluated, uh, not a six game season. You know, that was one of the, the big disappointments of that COVID on top of, you know, a, a bad record and, and a crappy season to watch. But the fact that Joe Milton didn't have a full off season and a full uh, spring and a full fall camp to try to really take that role is, is frustrating. Um, you know, but he, he was the starter for four of the, the six games. Um, or maybe the starter for five and, and, and McNamara started the last game and, and the injury played a role. You know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that it didn't work out. Um, and it's kind of a 50, 50 coin flip right now. You know, it, whether he moves somewhere else to a, a, a midsize or a large program and he could still, it's still possible that he really takes off like a rocket. And, uh, we look back and, and, and are kind of kicking ourselves for letting him get away. Well, what's interesting is I don't know, you know, it's interesting because um, this is one thing that, you know, coach Harbaugh, coach Harbaugh really doesn't comment on, right? Like when play, when it's a decision to go pro, right? Quite often you'll hear a coach say, well, I talked to player X and we talked about the possibilities and, and, you know, the player will get input, right? Um, and, and again, a lot of times, of course, you know, the coach would love to have their, their top player come back for another year, but they understand the reality, right? I wonder how that conversation goes when a player considers entering the transfer portal, right? Like, and this really comes back to, you know, again, Jim Harbaugh played in the league, um, we assume he has not forgotten the league, right? And uh, you wonder kind of what uh, what Joe's goal is, right? Um, he has his Michigan degree, and uh, you know does does he want to go somewhere? And you know, and I think about you know, um, you know, we had Shane Morris, right, who left and went and and you know had a bang up year at Central, right? And when it was clear he wasn't going to be the starter here. I guess the the thing that I question is, I don't think anybody um, has the inside line or the inside lane to be the starter next season, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that's that's the thing that I kind of shrug at. It's like I don't feel that he lost the job because, like you said, we don't we didn't really have a full season to evaluate it. Um, 
So again, there's, there's it's gonna there are gonna be a lot of questions about this. Just kind of what ifs. Um, and again, I, I I hope he's successful. Um, you know, wherever and whatever he does. Um, again, disappointed, and I'm not sure that we really gave it a shot, right? Um, and I think that that's what I'm disappointed by. You know, when some players leave, you completely understand that it's not in the cards. Like, I remember, um, you know, uh, before Shane Morris's last year at Michigan, um, you know, they were they hadn't announced the starter yet, and we were talking to the prospective starters, and he's like, well. And if I'm the starter, and you could just tell in, in his manner, he knew he wasn't going to play, right? And uh, we're all competing. You know, you get the, uh, um, you know, the things that everybody says, right? The the media speak, right? And I remember thinking, yeah, there's no way you're going to be the starter, just just because you know you, you could tell he 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 had very zero confidence that he was going to be the choice. And again, still a talented quarterback, left had a had a great year you know, ended his career successfully. Um, but again, I just, I, I think, um, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of, um, you know, when a player leaves and I'm not sure, you know, they always say leave everything on the field. I'm not sure that Joe had that chance here. And I think that's, you know, what we saw was tantalizing. Right. And, um, I'm not sure the problem. No, I am sure the problems that the team had were not all Joe Milton last year. And um, I would have loved to have seen, as you said, him with a full off season and a full season to, to figure things out. Um, but Michigan moves on and um, we'll, we'll see how next season goes. I, I wish him success wherever he ends up. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh whatever injury he was facing, I think it was a hand, finger, thumb injury, uh, combined with a strange COVID 2020, um, really stacked the deck against Milton, uh, having a a shot at becoming the reaching his full potential at Michigan. So I I hope he does reach his full potential. I hope it's at uh, a program that, you know, he doesn't do any damage to Michigan down the road. And, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be excited to see his personal career, uh, development and uh i'll also, obviously also be excited to see what uh you know what that means for michigan's quarterback room going forward all right well that's gonna do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer go blue thank you for listening to the umgoblue.com podcast all rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.